0: listening to that song that uh, Angelica sang about sitting on a rock. King David knew how to stir our souls the way he wrote and the way that uh, he's blessed us with uh, his knowledge of his understanding of his own depravity and how he could only reach out to God and have God set him on that high place and it's really a wonderful thing to know. I, I just am so thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ which came from a loving creator. I can't get beyond it. Anyway, we'll get into the sermon now. Uh, Today we're gonna speak on Genesis 3, verses 7 through 13, and I title it Naked and Exposed. Our last sermon, which was two weeks ago, closed with this verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So before we go forward, let's go back just a little bit, back to chapter two, where it says this, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. A question needs to be addressed today, and it needs to be answered before we can move on. This is an issue that will come up many, many times in the remaining 1,100 years and 87 chapters of the bible and we need to remember it and it needs to be accepted by everyone willing to accept the bible's overall premise the question is this if god said that adam would die on the day that he ate of the fruit then how could we be doing more sermons on adam starting today did god lie the answer is no god did not lie Well, if God didn't lie and Adam didn't die physically, then something else must have happened. And from today's passage, even until this very first day of 2012, man has been dead, spiritually dead. We are born dead and we will remain that way unless Christ Jesus works in our lives. Adam and the woman died spiritually the moment that they ate of the fruit and all people all people are born into Adam spiritually dead. This is the premise of the Bible, that all are born into sin and thus all are separated from God at birth. The only thing that can correct this is a new birth, as Jesus called it, being born again. Paul in the book of Romans explains this. Now, although he's writing about the law of Moses, the same premise applies to Adam and the woman. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once with the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Paul says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Death resulted from the law. Even the law coming from God was good. Our last sermon resolved this particular precept when we looked at how two things that are both created good by God can produce evil. The law, in this case, staying away from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, acted on the deficient will of God of Adam and the woman. This is what brought about the death and spiritual death continues in man until this day. Apart from a rebirth, we will remain spiritually dead and completely separated from God for all eternity. So here's our text verse, the words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, "'unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.'" Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh being Adam, spirit being the one Jesus Christ, the one who revives our spirit at the regeneration when the Holy Spirit seals us. So may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought for today is covering up. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Adam and the woman, and now I'm calling her the woman here, not as an offense to her, but At this point, she's only called the woman in the Bible. Eventually she will be called Adam's wife. And then after that, she will be named Eve by Adam. Anyway, they had their eyes opened. They saw the effects of evil because they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they suddenly realized their naked state. They knew what it was to feel shame. And they tried to hide the shame that they felt. They did this by sewing fig leaves together. There are several things that we can deduce from this one single verse and deeds are the focus of all three aspects. The first aspect is that they realize their sin because of their deeds. They had been given the law by God and they had disobeyed it. Paul, speaking of the law of Moses said the following, I'm using his logic in a way comparable to what Adam did just as I did a minute ago. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Adam and the woman failed in the law that they had been given. Their deeds testified against them. In Galatians 3, uh, verse 11, he complements his same logic that he gave here. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. So I hope you're beginning to understand or maybe more fully comprehend what I explained in the sermon on free will a few weeks ago, which was Genesis 2, 16 and 17. No one is justified by the law. Adam and the woman needed faith, but their deeds, which were not based on faith, are what brought about their pitiful situation. There's a second aspect of what the, sowing the fig leaves together meant. It's that they knew their helpless state. They relied on their deeds to make them to be like God. But even though this did occur in one aspect, they became like God to know good and evil. It also made them less like God in another way. Their spiritual death at that moment and their works testified against them. And this is Amazingly, I mean, this is amazingly similar to what Jesus says to the dead church, the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter three. Follow along and see if you see the parallel. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with thyself that you may see. Adam and the woman thought that they would gain everything and have need of nothing. But instead, just like the church in Laodicea, they became wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They became wretched creatures that would have a toilsome existence from the soil that would stubbornly provide for them in the future. They became miserable. They were creatures that would long, they would long for a return to the garden and had lost what they were destined to have. And instead they came up with trials and troubles and pains and sorrows. They'd lost everything good. They became poor. They were creatures who no longer had the riches of heaven but all they had was the thorns of earth. They would no longer have the waters of life. Instead, their waters came from wells dug into the land and which needed to be drawn up by the strength of their own arm. And they became blind. They were creatures without spiritual life or eyes that could discern spiritual things. Instead, they would grope through a world of darkness and of evil. And finally, they became naked, creatures that were exposed both physically and spiritually. Their nakedness testified against them and it at that point and it continues to testify against each one of us even till this day so do you think that it is any coincidence that jesus brings up these points to the church in laodicea the answer is no god was speaking to them and he is speaking to each one of us that all of the deeds in the world will do nothing nothing to reconcile us to god unless they are deeds of faith and the third aspect of their attempt to cover cover themselves is that they tried to make things right on their own initiative. In other words, here they've disobeyed, they've sinned and they've seen their nakedness and they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. And these fig leaves are unsuitable to cover a person. And I'm gonna give you a few reasons why. They aren't strong enough for the task. A leaf can't withstand the stress that's applied to them. They aren't durable enough for the task they wear out and they dry and then they fall to pieces and you're standing naked and exposed again and they are not protective enough for safety because the material is not user-friendly for the hardships that we are going to face and each of these points parallels our own deeds when we try to obtain God's favor here we are we're working our deeds and we're trying to obtain God's favor instead of relying on faith they aren't strong enough to cover our sins our deeds cannot hold up to the consequences of sin they aren't durable enough for the task temporary deeds cannot satisfy an infinite penalty we've discussed this before God is an infinite we're finite he created us we sinned and we are infinitely separated from him and they are not protective enough for the safety of the of any person we have these fiery darts of the devil we have internal struggles of sin we have the weakness of our own souls and these things cannot be overcome by our own deeds instead they leave us in the same sad shape or even worse why because when we try to earn god's favor through whatever means without faith we are saying we can do it ourselves. pride steps in and it further separates us from god and this pattern has been count, repeated countless, countless times throughout human history when we try to do wrong and hide it. I'll give you a couple examples. Here's one right here that you'll remember from very recently. Bill Clinton was discovered to have had a extramarital affair. He lied about it and he did everything he could with his presidential powers to cover it up. He even went as far as publicly mulling over what is, is. He shamefully sewed together fig leaves in an attempt to hide his guilt. In the same way we have Jim Baker, the disgraced TV evangelist. He was accused of offering $265,000 to his secretary to cover up his adultery. He was also tried and convicted on charges of fraud, tax evasion, racketeering. All of these were stemmed from his involvement in the construction of this place called Heritage USA. And even the first king of Israel, Saul, he attempted to cover up his wrongdoing. When he was found out and his deeds were exposed by God, he had the nerve to go to Samuel, who's the Lord's mouthpiece. And he said, I have sinned yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. In contrast to these people, Job held on to his righteousness as a badge of honor. And he even compared his own righteousness against the unrighteousness of Adam. But whether it is a politician, whether it's a minister, a king, or whether it's Job, when we have done something wrong or even if we haven't done something wrong, we stand naked and we stand exposed before the God who searches the hearts and the minds of his people. And that brings us to our second thought today, which is a moment in time. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This particular passage here surprises me when I see how many theologians deny the literal reading of this verse. The Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, the God of power and perfection, walked in the cool of the day, or as the Hebrew says, in the wind of the day, the ruach of the day. Adam Clark gives his comments on this particular passage. The voice is properly used here, for God is an infinite spirit and cannot be confined to any form so he can have no personal appearance. In other words, Adam Clark does not believe that God walked in the Garden of Eden. The main premise, as we've discussed before, for the people that follow the literal method of Bible interpretation is that we should be satisfied with the literal interpretation of a text unless there are very substantial reasons that are given for advancing beyond the literal interpretation. In the case of this account, the Lord God walking in the Garden of Eden, there is no good reason to deny it being taken literally. And there is the authority of God's word that it should be. In other words, Jehovah Elohim really did walk in the Garden of Eden, just as he walked up to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, and just as he wrestled with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, and just as he showed up At the presence of right before the battle of jericho when he saw joshua and he had his sword drawn each of these instances and many many others in the old testament tell us that the lord god actually assumed human form and this same lord god walked among his people after the incarnation when the holy spirit united with human flesh in the womb of mary in the person of jesus christ jesus is the master of time and space and he walked in the garden and elsewhere appearing in his own history. People speculate. As a matter of fact, I had this question in uh, my uh, Bible class just a few weeks ago. They speculate on how long it was before Adam and the woman actually ate of the fruit in disobedience. One Jewish commentary gives a timeline of the entire history of Jewish history, biblical history all the way through Judaism. You can go online and you can go to any day of the year, click on it and it will tell you everything that has happened in history at that time. Now my answer to that question was it probably wasn't very long. This Jewish commentary says this, on the very day that he was created man committed the first sin in history, transgressing the divine commandment not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and mankind became subject to death labor, and moral confusion. And this actually seems to be validated by the term, the cool of the day. It was the end of the day. It was the evening that Jehovah Elohim walked in the garden. That would mean there was plenty of time for his innocent and precious little creatures to go ahead and have their eyes open by disobeying and eating of the fruit. Now, if this is so, if they really, really sinned on the first day that they were created, it brings about an immensely an immensely profound theological concept and so i would caution you to take my personal thoughts on this with a grain of salt and yet at the same time i would ask you to consider them as if they were very choice fruit in genesis 1 it says at the end of the sixth day of creation then god saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good so the evening and the morning were the sixth day if adam fell before the end of the sixth day and everything was very good or tov meod on the sixth day, then God's plan included his creatures to be complete and not lacking knowledge by the end of the sixth day. Is an innocent creature, one that doesn't know good from evil, complete or not? If the man was placed in the garden to worship and serve his creator as we discussed before, could he do this without that type of knowledge? Personally, I would say no. And therefore, the book of Revelation, where we see the garden, where we see paradise restored to man, who man who has the knowledge of good and evil, is even more significant than any one of us could possibly imagine. Out of 7,000 years of human history recorded in the Bible, from the Garden of Eden until the end of the millennial reign of Christ, it is two million five hundred and twenty thousand days. Only one day. Only one day in all of that was as it should have been. And oh how we wait for the promises at the end of the book of Revelation when we see that restoration of that perfect day. I'm sorry about all these boats. I can't control them going by. Anyway, I think also that this concept of Adam sinning on the first day of creation is supportable by God's entering his rest on the seventh day. God rested from his labors on that day, and the purpose of man was to enter God's rest. Remember, it says he put the man in the garden. He rested the man in the garden. Because this is so, it makes complete sense that he would have been expelled from the garden before the seventh day. Only when the fullness of time had come, when Jesus Christ was crucified, and resurrected was man allowed to again enter God's rest. As it says in Hebrews 4.3 For we who have believed do enter that rest. That Adam and the woman fell on the sixth day of creation is also supportable by the comment in Revelation 13 verse 8 All who dwell on the earth will worship him meaning the devil whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain From the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain from the foundation of the world. Sin is what necessitated the death of the Lord, and therefore sin occurred at the foundation of the world, known to us as the six days of creation. We look around us and we see death, we see troubles, we see trials and misery, we see pain, we see all of the tragedies around us. But God sees a plan that will bring many sons to glory and one which is worth the cost to have creatures that can appreciate the greatness of his marvelous plan. Never, never underestimate the glory of what God has done and what he is continuing to do in this ongoing bubble of what we call time and space. And that brings us to our third thought today, hiding away then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree, which I commanded you that you should not eat? I got to tell you, man, oh man, nothing has changed in 6,000 years. The Lord called out to Adam, Adam, hello, Adam, where are you? Of course he knew where Adam was. But he was drawing him out in a tender manner, just like a parent would do with a wayward child. Jeremiah asked this particular rhetorical question from the Lord. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. The great king of Israel, David, tried to hide his own sin after having slept with Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, and then having her husband Uriah killed. So let's take a couple minutes and read this, and we're gonna see some parallels between that account and what Adam did. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David said to Joab, who is the commander of the army, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent, to Uriah, sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet, which means go down and enjoy yourself and uh, You know, your wife is there, maybe enjoy her as well. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord. And he did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the Ark of Israel, and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As I live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You can see the righteousness of Uriah. He's a righteous man. He's knowing that his his war mates are out in battle. The Ark of the Covenant is out in battle and he is in Jerusalem on a mission. And he says, I'm not even going to go home to my wife. I'm gonna stay out with the soldiers here in the courtyard. That's the kind of righteous man that David had killed. Then David said to Uriah, wait here also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. David is trying to get him drunk so that he's gonna, you know, maybe be a little more disposed to going home to his wife. And the reason why he's doing this is because David got Bathsheba pregnant and he wants to cover it up. If he doesn't go home and sleep with his wife, then his wife is an adulterer and she will be stoned. So this is what David is trying to do here. Uh, Where was I? And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah his own execution order he's going to carry back to the battlefront and he wrote in the letter saying set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die so it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also And we'll go down just a little further. It says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Do you think so? Mm -hmm. David tried to cover up his sins with fig leaves, but the Lord knew what happened. Instead of working wickedness and trying to hide our shame behind foliage, Paul gives us a much better way of handling these type of things in the book of Romans. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. You can see David written all over this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Because what David did here is so intricately tied with what Adam did in the garden, we're gonna go back and we're gonna read a little more of this account and see the comparison. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is the king's prophet. Right here, can't you hear the Lord calling out to Adam? Adam, where are you, Adam? But this time it's the great king of Israel. David, David, where are you? Oh, David. And he came to him and he said to him, this is Nathan Nathan the prophet speaking to David. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David listened intently to this account. It's a parable about his own sin as was given to him by Nathan the prophet. He was the king and he was the one to judge legal cases. As he sat and listened, he was not cluing in to what his own prophet, the mouthpiece of the Lord was trying to tell him. Who else would he be talking about? But just like Adam, he was secretly hiding in his own little garden. He was naked, he was covered in fig leaves just like his first father. And just like the garden, the woman that he had conspired with was securely hidden with him behind the walls of his palace. Oh yeah, Zion, it's a nice and comfortable place and the Lord doesn't see a thing. But the Lord found Adam who was hiding in Eden and the Lord found David who was hiding in Zion, the city of David. The garden of Eden means the garden of delight and Zion means a parched place from one extreme to the other the eyes of the lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him and we come to our fourth thought today passing the buck then the man said the woman you gave to be with me she gave me of the tree and i ate i get to do this a lot whenever i'm found out for some little misdeed i simply pass the buck onto my beauty over there it's all Hidako's fault can't you see it she made me do it the little devil well maybe maybe not all the time but this is our natural proclivity we blame our co-workers when things don't go right at work we blame our brother or sister when mom finds out something bad that we did we blame McDonald's for making the coffee too hot when we stupidly drop it on ourselves and burn ourselves we blame the rich for our financial woes And we blame God for every bad thing that happens in our life that we cannot control. We love to point the finger and we love to pass the buck to someone else. Adam passed the buck and it landed right at Eve's feet. But what is also included here is a little bit more. The woman you gave to be with me. Haisha asher nafata imadi. Adam passed the buck and it landed right at Eve's feet. Right? The woman made me do it. But really, it's your fault. You put her in my lap. Things would have been oh so much better if you hadn't given her to me. I would have been better off with the GTO with chrome bumpers and some fishing pole attachments, right? (laughs) And this is the pattern of the unrighteous human soul all the way down through the ages. Not only do we pass the buck to someone else, but we find a way of blaming God in the process. This really is the mark of an unrighteous soul. This is what King Saul did when he disobeyed God's order to destroy everything belonging to the Amalekites when they fought against him. This account here, he was told to, it's a uh, art of war at the time. God says, I want you to go in and destroy this city. It's called harem. Everything is to be devoted to the Lord. Nothing alive is to be left alive. Nothing in the city is to be taken out of it. It's to be completely burned and destroyed. But Saul didn't follow that. Then the Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Saul passed the buck on to God. I did it because it's what God would have wanted. But this unrepentant attitude after being found out, the attitude which is so similar to Adam passing it on to Eve, wasn't at all like King David. How could God call David a man after my own heart, even after he committed adultery and then murdering the husband? Let's continue with the trial of David before the Lord. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, The man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And that brings us to our fifth thought today, kicking the can. Most of you have probably heard the term kicking the can down the road. We use this to say that somebody's getting blamed for something, just turns around and blames somebody else. In the world's first case of kicking the can down the road, the woman taught us how to do it. Women have given us other firsts as well. I did some tedious research on the internet and elsewhere, and I found seven women who accomplished wonderful firsts. Betty Nesmith Graham invented liquid paper. Sixteenth century noblewoman Larry Lady Mary Wortley Montague discovered the smallpox vaccination. Helen Grinier invented the first bomb-diffusing robot. Sarah Blakely, comedian-turned-entrepreneur, invented Spanx. In her case, I'm not sure if she ever left the field of comedy. I just... <laughs> Margaret Knight invented paper bags. Now, Margaret Knight did not invent paper, and Margaret Knight did not invent bags, but Margaret Knight did invent paper bags. And Marion Donovan invented disposable Diapers, which now clutter up mm. landfills all over the world. And one more Hideko Garrett invented a workable method of turning a completely helpless soul into an effective dishwasher and a marginal husband. All our notable firsts. <laughs> Women accomplished all of these notable tasks, but our first mother, Eve, gets sole rights to kicking the can down the road. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate now Adam was very very careful to assign blame directly to Eve and indirectly to the Lord but Eve without missing a single beat turned around and blamed the serpent Paul made sure to note though in the New Testament that kicking the can only goes so far for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression I appreciate Paul reminding me of this because by the time we get to 1 Timothy, which is 55 books down in the Bible, it can be very tough to keep these things in order. In all seriousness though, the pattern has remained pretty much interrupted since it first occurred. It is so easy to pass the buck and it's so easy to kick the can down the road and it is very rare when someone will own up to their own failings. In the case of King David, What did he do when he was confronted with his transgressions? He stood fast and he took the heat. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Yes, sin has consequences and David paid for them in his family and in the many trials that he faced later in his life. But because of his repentant heart and the depth of his emotions when he was confronted with sin, God favored him. The 51st Psalm, which we've read several times here, is David's heartfelt acknowledgement of his own misdeeds and it has filled the souls of people for over 2,700 years with a deeper understanding of the type of person that God rejoices over when he deals with the sons of men when we sin we want to be like David we want to be strong enough to admit our sin and then to not attempt to cover it up with fig leaves or try to assign the blame to somebody else when we're found out rather let's just simply openly simply and openly acknowledge our sins And I'm gonna leave you with this final thought from the book of Hebrews today. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The woman was enticed and she ate of the fruit. She passed it on to Adam and he ate as well. He became the second willing recruit and together they left a sad story to tell. Their eyes were open to their exposed state. They realized that life and sin just ain't so great. They sewed together figs to hide their shame and made coverings that just wouldn't suffice. The Lord questioned them about their hiding game and they realized that sin just ain't so nice. Where are you called the Lord, though he already knew. I was hiding because I realized something wasn't right. I was afraid to answer, I'm naked. Yes, it's true. And so I hid myself like a shadow in the night. Who told you that you were naked? What is this that you did do? Have you taken of the fruit, which I told you not to eat? It was the woman who did it, the one made by you. She told me of its yumminess and how it was so sweet. I thought it would be so good, but I guess I paid the price. I'm beginning to see that sin really just ain't so nice. Woman, what is this thing that you have done? Traded life under the heavens for life under the sun? Oh, my Lord, it was the serpent He deceived me and I ate and now I'm seeing that life in sin just ain't so great. Oh God that we could take it back and undo what we have done. Life was wonderful under the heavens but it's terrible under the sun. What can we do to make things right? Where can we turn to be healed? How long will we be cast from your sight? How long until the grave is unsealed? I have a plan children but you'll have to wait. Many years toiling in the sun and in the heat. But I will someday open wide heaven's gate when my own son, the devil, will defeat. I will send my own son, the devil, to defeat. Jesus Christ came, born of a woman and born of the Holy Spirit, to redeem us from the sins of Adam. What Adam did, it affects every human soul on earth. We are separated from birth by sin. And we will never have a relationship with God unless we receive the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So I'd ask each person here today that if you have never called on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would do so. That you would give your life to him. He will seal you with this Holy Spirit. He will quicken your spirit and he will give you eternal life. And it's so simple. It's simply by faith. The Bible says that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And it doesn't come hard. It comes very easily. It says that if you will call on the name of the Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Why? Because he never sinned and the wages of sin is death. He came out of the grave to prove that he didn't sin and that he also has the ability to give you new life. So take that to heart, understand what God has done is a perfect plan, even from the fall of Adam all the way through until the very end. He is in control of these things, but he leaves the choice up to each one of us. Heavenly Father, if there is a person here today that is not right with you, that is not called on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would ask that you have them do that today, that they would call on his glorious name and would give their souls to him. He will tenderly take care of them until the great day when he gives us all things restored in the new garden of Eden, the paradise of God, which is coming down out of heaven. We look forward to that day. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word and now to have communion together. And Lord, thank you for every good blessing, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.